Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Rothko Chapel. My name is Ashley Klimmer. I'm the Director of Programs and Community Engagement. I see a lot of familiar faces here today. I'm curious if anyone is visiting for the first time. We have one person, two people. Welcome. Well, I'm just going to give a quick overview for those of you who are new. Uh, this is a sacred space, opened in 1971, a place for people of all religions or none. And it's also the complete work of art of artist Mark Rothko. So in addition to the 14 paintings that surround us, also the design of the building, all the way down to the little details like the guardrails were, were really uh, designed by the artist. This is a place for both contemplation and action. We're open every day of the year from 10 to 6 as a quiet place for reflection. But then also we make this space available for important life passages such as weddings, memorials. We open the doors to different religious communities who'd like to have private worship services. And then we have ongoing public programs throughout the year uh, that really sit at the intersection of art, spirituality, and human rights. And those run the gamut from these 12 Moments offerings, which are the first Wednesday of the month from 12 to 1, to concerts, to our biannual Peace Prize in the name of Oscar Romero. So if you haven't been to other programming, then I invite you to please come back. Or if you haven't just been here to sit and notice the light, then I invite you to do that as well. Um, we also have staff on site. You'll see different individuals with this name tag. So if you have any questions or want to learn more, please feel free to reach out to any of us afterwards. So for today's series, this is part of our 12 Moment series, which we've been offering since 2005. It's offered, as I said, the first Wednesday of the month, and it's an opportunity to explore different uh, faith practices. We invite leaders from all over Houston to come and lead an educational and experiential offering. So today we are so delighted to have with us an Islamic tradition, um, uh, Imam Dr. Wazir Ali. And I'm just going to say a few words about him, but his full bio is here in the printed program. He is the imam of the historic Majid WD. I'm not going to pronounce that. He can do it better. Um, and also Muhammad and Majid Al-Quran uh, in Houston, Texas. He's also an entrepreneur, a kinesiologist, a reg registered dietitian, uh, and also owns a private nutrition consulting firm in Houston. And additionally, also teaches at the um, at Texas Southern University in uh, clinical nutrition. So he is a leader in all matters of the spirit and the body. So if you have any questions, he said that he told me when he walked in today that he can just look at you and tell you what's going on and what your body needs and what you're missing. So you might have to schedule a separate time to sit with him. I think we might all have to do that after this. Um, so before we begin, I would like to ask that you just silence or turn off your cell phones. Refrain from, from photography. We will be documenting this a little bit. We'll add those pictures to our website. And we'll also be creating an audio recording. So if there's anything that you'd like to return to or if you want to share this with a friend, it will be available for you. And then there will be some time at the end for questions. There will be a moment where... We will be going through uh, the call to prayer, and these mats are available, so if anyone wants to join, then at that time, feel free to grab a mat and, and get on the floor. Okay, thank you all. Please welcome. Good morning. Uh, afternoon, I'm sorry. Thank you all for coming out today. You know, when I first accepted to participate in this wonderful series, 
and have the honor of being with you this afternoon. It was around nine months ago. And I commend the Rothko Chapel for reserving nine months in advance. But a lot of things can change in nine months. So a couple weeks ago, I received the email that this morning was the president's state of the university address at Texas Southern University where I'm a professor. And there's a lot of things you can miss, but you can't miss the president's <laughs> state of the university address. And so it was around 11.25, and I said, oh God, please help him stop talking, because I have to get over to the Rothko Chapel to be with those wonderful people who are taking of their lunch period. And so yes, he stopped right around 11.30, and then he was gonna say some more stuff, and then he was doing all your thank yous and all that. So the fortunate thing is TSU is 13 minutes from here. So I got in my car and I drove straight over. The unfortunate thing is the handout that I had that explained the different things we're gonna talk about today, they were on my desk in my office. And in my haste to get over here, I accidentally left them on my desk. But with Google, who's the expert on everything nowadays, there's a few words that I'm gonna give you that you can look up, and it's pretty easy to find some basic definitions. So spiritualism, the journey of self-cleansing, self-development, building a better relationship with God, as we may know him or understand him, is what rituals and prayer and meditations are about in Islam. One of the most important journeys that we have in life is to come to a state of peace, deep inner peace. And what's interesting, when I was reading what America promises, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, when I did deep reading on what the pursuit of happiness means, some, I know some thought it meant to own land, but when I did further reading about the ideas that inspired the pursuit of happiness, it's really talking about an internal happiness. It's a, it's a peace, it's a deep inner peace. You know, and so for myself, I found a nugget there because that's our ultimate goal, to arrive at a state of inner peace. And that inner peace is called mutma'inna. Mutma'inna. And mutma'inna just means balance. So I'm going to say a lot of Arabic words uh, because the Quran was revealed in Arabic and Muhammad, the prophet of Islam, spoke Arabic. I'm going to translate as much as possible to make and facilitate the discussion. So mutma'inna means at rest, uh, peaceful. And the actual passage in the Quran that speaks about this, says, O oh, you soul that has come to rest. nafsul mutma'inna. O you soul that has come to rest. Irji'i ila rabbiki In return to your sustainer, your guardian, your nurturer, your evolver, please with yourself and pleasing to him. 
uh, Geneti and return with the righteous and return to God's paradise. Okay, so when you reach this state of inner peace, it is an expression of paradise here on earth. And that paradise can be attained regardless to what's going on outside and around you because it's the inner peace that you're looking for. And that's the conclusion of the journey of the soul. The soul begins in what's called a'amara, a'amara, which would mean more just reaction, like a child reacts when something happens. You know, they get hungry, they cry. Uh, when, when they soil themselves, they cry, okay? Just reactionary. Then a second movement in the journey of the soul is what's called the wavering soul, or lawama. It's the soul that you're trying to get it right, but you keep making mistakes, and you do good for two months, and then you make some more mistakes, and, and so this is the journey. And then finally, you come to this peace. It doesn't mean you're perfect. You're going to continue to make mistakes. But you're trying your best to be the best human being that you possibly can be. You, re you respect your fellow human being. And you respect your relationship with the one who made you. So we're going to talk about the iconic Muslim prayer. Whenever you see Islam mentioned, you hear what's called the call to prayer. And then there's actually a ritual prayer. And this ritual begins with a, with a supernatural experience that Muhammad has in which he is taken into paradise. And in paradise, he goes to seven levels. And on each level, he meets a different prophet. On the first level, he meets Adam. On the second level, he meets John and Jesus. On the third level, he meets Enoch, or Idris in the Quran. On the fourth level, he meets Yusuf, or Joseph. On the fifth level, he meets Harun, or Aaron. On the sixth level, he meets Moses. And on the seventh level, he meets Abraham. And then it's on this journey that the five daily prayers that the majority of uh, Muslims, depending on what tradition you're in, pray every day. It was on this journey that he's given these prayers. And the most, one of the most interesting things is once he's given this, this journey, once he's given these prayers, originally it's 50 prayers a day. And when he's coming back down, descending back down from the heavens, he meets Moses. And Moses asks him, well, what, what did your Lord give you? He said, he, he said, 50 prayers a day. Moses said, go back. There's no way that your, that your, your community will be able to do this. So he goes back, it gets cut to 25, he's on his way back down. He sees Moses again and Moses asks, well, what did, what, did, what did your Lord give you? He said, 25, he said, go back. They will not be able to do that. 
So he goes back, eventually it gets cut to five. And he's on his way out again, and Moses tells him, go back. And Muhammad says, I'm, I, I'm in, I can't go back now. He's already decreased it from 50 to five, and I'm shy. I'm embarrassed to go back and make it any shorter. Now, that's not what the text says. I'm taking a little poetic license uh, to ease and facilitate the conversation. And so this is when this institution of five daily prayers uh, began. And the prayers are prayed according to the movement of the sun, okay? Not worshiping the sun, but in the sixth century, they had no clocks. They may have had a sundial, but they didn't have what we have. So when to pray had to be based on something that you could read in the creation. And so you could read the sun. So we get up and pray before the sun rises. Right? And the sun is symbolic of enlightenment. And this prayer we say aloud. This prayer is called Fajr prayer, the dawn prayer. And we say it aloud. Meaning that before enlightenment comes to the world, we have to take the words that God has given us and say them loudly so that we can remind ourselves. The second prayer we pray is right after the sun passes the zenith. Okay? This prayer is called Dhuhr. Dhuhr means to be distinguished. Okay? Sun is up, everybody can see. This prayer we pray silently. Okay? Then the third prayer we pray is called Asr. And this prayer is prayed when your shadow is two times as long as you. Once, you. once you can see your shadow is twice as long as you, you pray this prayer. And this prayer is the squeezing prayer. It's a squeezing prayer. Asr means to squeeze. Because the sun is going down, enlightenment is leaving, you're being pressed. It's a very pressing time of the day. So even in your most pressing moments, and especially nowadays, this was 1,400 years ago, but today, this is rush hour traffic, right? So even when you're being pressed the most, you should take some time out to remember God. The fourth prayer is called Maghrib. This prayer is prayed right after the sun sets, and this prayer is prayed aloud. See, the sun is not up anymore, so you remind yourself by saying it aloud. And the fifth prayer that's prayed is called Isha, and this pr prayer is prayed late at night. Now, the iconic thing that you hear before Muslims pray is called the Adhan. And y'all can say it with me. If, at, your, at your own, no compulsion, right? Adhan. This means to call, but it also means to hear. It comes from the word udun, and udun means an ear, right? So to hear something. So it's a call, and it's a hearing. Now, some of the very philosophical um, um, uh, religious scholars, like the one who I'm his direct, I'm a direct student of him, he passed away, his name was Warathuddin Muhammad, the mosque that I'm the leader of is named after him. He said, Udun also means attention, that you're giving your attention to this when it's called. And so the iconic call to prayer is, is, is and, and, and in the ritual, you hold your hands up to your ears to distinguish that you're listening. Okay, and yeah, you're listening. 
And then you say, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. Ashhadu an Muhammad Rasulullah. Ashhadu an Muhammadar Rasulullah Hayya ala salah Hayya ala salah Hayya ala al-falah Hayya ala al-falah Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar La ilaha illallah Now the melody that you use can change but the words and the elongations have a linguistic um, measure. So it says, God is greater, God is greater. So before Muhammad came, there were um, people who practiced folk religion. There were Jews, there were Christians, there were Sabians. Sabians, uh, Sabina, um, Mendian Sabians, they look at um, um, John the Baptist as their major pro prophet. You don't, there's, you don't meet a lot of them in America. But if you go to Iraq, Iran, you're going to still meet some Sabians. And they have a book, a scripture called the Ginza Rabbah. So, so it's, it, it never really made the transition over to America. But these were three of the kind of dominant religious groups at that time. And all of them used the word Allah. So Allah is not exclusive to Muslims. Allah existed long before Muhammad came. It was the Arabic word to refer to divine. And so when you say Allahu Akbar, it means God is greater. God is greater. This reminds the person that's about to pray that whatever they're giving their attention to right now, of course, unless they're in the operating room and they have a patient and they're operating on their heart or something like that. It's practical, too. But if it's more frivolous, more, more just entertainment, enjoyment, you're watching the Rockets game or whatever, God is more important. And my particular teacher, he even commented on when you say, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. And you're going to notice when you hear it called like this, the second one extends out longer than the first one. He said that the first one represents our corporal life, the life that we live in now, that we're experiencing now. 
And the second one uh, refers to the life that we have after this life. So this life is short compared to the life to come after this life. That one is much more longer. It's, it's much more ex extensive. And then you say, after you say, God is great, God is great, God is great, God is great, four times. You say, I witness that none deserves worship except God. I witness that none deserves worship except God. You say that twice. Then you say, I witness that Muhammad is the messenger of God. I witness that Muhammad is the messenger of God. And part of the reason that some of the thinkers, when they write their commentary on this call, is to remind us as Muslims never to worship Muhammad, that he was the messenger of God, that he wasn't representing God or he wasn't a physical incorporation of God. So this call reminds us of that, that, okay, well, God is the one to be worshiped. Muhammad is bringing a message. He's, he's bringing you a message from God, and that reminds of that. Then you say, Hayyala Salah. This means come to prayer. That's the term for the iconic Muslim prayer. Salah. You say that twice. Then you say, Hayyala Salah. Now, this takes a little interpretation. Salah directly translates as success, if I just was to translate it word for word. But if I asked you, um, what does work ethic mean? Or if I asked you something like, um, uh, what does love mean? What does affection mean? It's, it's not something that you can just give me one word to express the meaning. It has a very deep meaning. So falah, and so you'll hear them say falah. Arabic is a guttural language. So sometimes you feel like somebody's about to spit on you when they're talking to you. <laughs> right? Um, and as an English-speaking person, it takes you a long time to learn these. But I had a good teacher. He taught us how to say He said, pretend a pit bull is chasing you. Right? So we're like, and then when we were to learn the ch, you don't say that often, but he said, pretend you're clearing your throat of mucus. And so we learned how to say the ch letter. Then there's a letter ein. It's, ooh, this is a difficult ein, right? But there's a, there's a um, vernacular. There's a vernacular ain't. The word ain't is vernacular language. It's not standard English, but it's vernacular. But the same place you say ain't is the same place you say ein. Okay, and so this is where Ali, these kind of words are, Khalid, Ahmed. So, um, um, Falah literally means a farmer. It means to plow. So, so the symbolism in, or the metaphor is you're, you're plowing your soul, you're cultivating your soul. When you come to this worship, you're cultivating your soul. And plow, it implies to turn over something and expose what's already in it. So when you till the land, you turn the land over, you, you expose the minerals that's already in it. So that, this word falah means success, but it implies that when you come to this ritual expression, 
you're cultivating the goodness that's already in your soul. You're using this as a tool to cultivate the, the rich things that God has already put in your soul. Then you say God is greater, God is greater. There's nothing worthy of worship except God. So that lets everyone know it's time to pray. Then we have a ritual washing. The washing is called wudu. Before we pray, we wash, we clean up. In the seventh century, it probably had a practical, a very practical application that you were dusty and stuff. You know. But nowadays, most of us bathe once or twice a day, right? We have running water. So some of the practical aspects of it don't hold to today, but the, the spiritual aspects of it do. We begin by washing our hands three times, our right hand and our left hand, okay? Your right hand represents your conscious actions. Your left hand represents your subconscious actions, and you wash them three times. The first time you're washing yourself physically, the second time mentally, the, ter the third time spiritually. So you want to clean yourself in all these different expressions. So you begin with your right hand. Then your left hand, okay? Right hand is those things that you do that you're conscious of. Left hand is habitual, those, those things that you're really not paying attention to. So you want to clean them physically, spiritually, mentally. And your hands represent your actions, those things that you do. Then you wash your mouth three times. This represents your speech. Okay? You want to keep your speech clean, you know. And not just a clean from a profanity way, but thing, saying things that help cultivate people, encourage people, positive words, kind words. If only we could live to our religious ideas, right? Um, uh, so you do that three times. Uh, physical, mental, spiritual, then you wash your nose. And so for many of us, when we first start, we have some sore noses, right? Because we don't know, we haven't let, yet learned just to wet the inside of it. Some people <laughs> snort and, you know, the water gets up in your nose. But your nose represents your intentions. So you want your intentions to be pure. Now there's another interpretation that it, it represents um, your urge to know stuff that you, that you really don't need to know. I mean, be nosy. And one of the things Muhammad said was, it's part of being a good Muslim to leave alone that which, you don't, that which doesn't concern you. That's actually an idea in, in religion. Don't, don't, don't butt into other people's business. Um, so there's some different interpretations of that. Then after I wash my nose, I wash my face. My face represents my character. Okay, because that's what you see when you think about me. You identify me by my face. So you want to keep your character clean. Then after you wash your face, you wash your arms to your elbow. You've already washed your hands, but you wash your arms to your elbow three times. This represents your influence. You want your influence to be clean. We all have influence over someone, even if it's just our children, right? And you, you don't want to abuse that influence, okay? So you, you clean it, and you're right. That influence you're conscious of. But you also clean the influence that you're not conscious of because somebody's watching you. In whatever position you're in, whatever you're doing, somebody's paying attention to you and they're taking cues from you, right? And so you want to make sure that even subconsciously you're not doing things that will, will undermine 
wholesome, a wholesome our, our positive, productive life. So after I wash my arms, I go over my head. And head represents knowledge. You want your knowledge to be clean. Okay, this one you only do one time. Then you wash your ears one time. That's symbolic of what's influencing your knowledge. Then you go to your feet. Okay. And feet are a stronger expression of habits, right? So left hand is subconscious, right? But there's, there's nothing we do more without thinking about it than walk. Right? And the only time you really think about where you're walking is if there's glass or if there's, it's wet or something like that. Other than that, you just walk. And so then you want, as you take your journey through this life, you want your steps to be clean. You want to, um, um, that those things that you just do constantly every day to be clean. Then you're washed. And then you're ready to go pray. Now, there's, certain, there's three things that make you have to wash. If you fell asleep to the point you lost conscious, if you engaged in conjugal relationships with your, with your lawful spouse, or if you used the restroom or passed gas or something like that, that necess, necess, necessitates you to have to wash. Now, if you have conjugal relationships, you have to take a whole bath. It's, whole, it's a different ritual, but it's beyond the scope of our discussion today. Then you go to the prayer. How are we doing on time? I'm 15 minutes left? Oh, my goodness. I better hurry up. All right. All right. Okay. So here we go. Now I'm standing here. I'm facing the the Kaaba. The Kaaba symbolizes worship of one God. That's really what it symbolizes. The building is not as important as what it represents. We believe Abraham left it here as a, a symbol for his journey to find and worship God. So then we start the prayer. We, we see the whole Quran as a prayer, the whole thing. So whenever you're reciting the Quran, you're actually praying, okay? So the iconic, and, and so only 15 minutes. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, uh, then me demonstrating it and then having you follow me, there's not time for that. So if, any of, you, if any, of, any of you would like to experience it. Now, you don't have to say Allah. You can say whatever God you worship in those, in those peers that I say Allah. But if you actually want to experience it, um, you can get a mat, and I'll show you. Um, and you can follow me in the actual ritual. Okay? There's usually one person that leads. This is the one that knows the most Quran. Okay? And there's a whole institution in Islam where people memorize the Quran cover to cover. And there's hundreds of thousands of people all around the world that memorize the Quran cover to cover. And it's a whole institution in religion. It's called Hafiz. And they have chains that go all the way back to Muhammad himself. Because you always have to record in your chain who taught you. So uh, there are a few people here in Houston who, 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 who have enough schooling, that they're able to grant this ijaz. It's called an ijaz. It's a line. And so they'll tell you every one of the teachers, all the way back to Muhammad himself. Yeah, very incredible. If you can remember the whole Bible, you have an incredible mind, right? So imagine somebody remembers the whole Quran, right? And, they, and, and we recite it every year during Ramadan. 
Ramadan is in two weeks. Every night, Muslims pray these long prayers. If you're not used to them, you won't make it. It's like two-hour prayer, right? An hour and a half, two hours. But what happens is they recite one-thirtieth of the Quran every night during Ramadan so that when you go through Ramadan, you would have went through the whole Quran, okay? So then, so I'm here, I'm standing before God. Um, I'm balanced. And I have my mind focused on where I'm going to pray. It's a sign of humility because when you stand before God, you have to be humble. So it's a conscious humility. They call it khushu. And I begin my prayer. I say, Allahu Akbar, God is greater. I take my left hand, which represents my um, areas that need improvement or my weaknesses. I take my right hand, which represents my strength. I take my right hand, I put it over my left hand, and I put it over my belly button, or right above it. My belly button represents my, my appetites. Okay, so my strength support my weaknesses, holds them up, and I want to get in control of my appetites. One of the biggest things that lead to um, your spirit not evolving in, in, in Islam is uncontrolled appetites. It's interesting that I became a dietitian, huh? And trust me, around 50, I was around 50 pounds heavier a few years back. I wasn't controlling that appetite. But I had to change. I'm a dietitian. <clears throat> so you're here and you say, A'udhu billahi minash rajim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Ar-Rahmanirrahim Maliki Yawmiddin Iyaka na'budu wa iyaka nasta'in Ihdina al-sirat al-mustaqim Sirat al-lazina an'amta alayhim غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين آمين بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والأصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواسوا بالحق وتواسوا بالصبر الله أكبر سبحان ربي العظيم سبحان ربي العظيم سبحان ربي العظيم سمع الله لمن حمده ربنا لك الحمد الله أكبر سبحان ربي الأعلى سبحان ربي الأعلى سبحان ربي الأعلى الله أكبر اللهم اغفرني وارحمني الله أكبر Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la, Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la, Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la. 
Allahu Akbar. Now each of these is called a raka'ah. Then I will stand all the way back up. The first prayer has two. The second prayer has four. The third prayer has four. The fourth prayer has three. And the fifth prayer has four. And there's some symbolic meaning behind it, but there's not enough time to really go into it. So I just want to tell you what's said in English and if it's said aloud and silent so you would know. So when you're standing in this position, <clears throat> this position is called Qiyam, which means to be upright, and you say the first chapter of the Quran. With, we seek refuge with God from uh, the shaitan or that influence that wants to take you away from the best that you can be. It's called the Satan, the devil, Ash-Shaitan. So you see, I seek refuge with God from Satan, the rejected, with God's name, the merciful benefactor, the merciful redeemer. All praise due to God, guard and evolver, cherish the sustainer, nurture of everything in existence. Master of the day of judgment. You alone do we worship and your aid we seek. Guide us to the upright path, the path of those who have earned, who the path of those you have blessed your favor upon, not those who you're displeased with, nor, nor those who have gone astray. And after we make this prayer, we all say, Amin. Okay. And that can be translated as trusted. This is a trusted prayer. Okay. After that, you can recite any part of the Quran you want to. If it's a large group that you're leading, keep it short, especially if there are um, people who are infirm. And our attention spans are so small nowadays. I try to keep them very short at my mosque. I say only the very short ones. And this is all said aloud. Then I say, Allahu Akbar, I'm submitting, I'm submitting now. I'm taking my intellect, the best thing God has given me, and I'm submitting it to him now. And I say, Subhana Rabbi Al-Adim, Subhana Rabbi Al-Adim, Subhana Rabbi Al-Adim. Glory be to you, my Lord, my cherisher, my sustainer, the mighty. I say that at least three times. But this is silent. I don't say this aloud. Then I say, Sami Allahu liman hamida. God hears those who praise him. Then the congregation says, Rabbana lakalham. For our Lord, for you is the praise. And I say this aloud. Then I say, Allahu Akbar. And I come all the way down. And then I say this silently. Glory be to you, God, the most high. Glory be to you, God, the most high. Glory be to you, God, the most high. Then I come back up. And I say this silent too. Oh Allah, forgive me, or oh God, forgive me and have mercy upon me. And then I come back down a second time. Subhanahu rabbi ala, subhanahu rabbi ala, subhanahu rabbi ala. Glory be to uh, my Lord the Most High. Glory be my Lord the Most High. Glory be to my Lord the Most High. And then I come back up. If it's after two rakahs, I sit and I say a special prayer. Okay. If it's after one, I stand back up and I go through the process again. Okay? And in whichever prayer it is, if it's the last circuit, I'll sit and say a prayer. This position is called Qiyam, standing up. 
This position is called ruku, bowing. This position is called sajda. The word masjid comes from this term. Masjid just simply means a place you submit to God. And so you, you go like this. This is called sajda. And Muhammad said this is when you're closest to God, when you're in sajda. This is when you're closest to God. This is called jalsa or ka'da, which means to sit. Okay. Now my last in the second or the last circuit or raka'ah, I sit here and I make a special prayer. I say, At-tahiyyatu lillah wa salawatu wa ta'ibah. As-salamu alayka ayyuhan nabiyu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu wa as-salamu alayna ibadillahi salihin ashhadu an la ilaha illallah ashhadu anna muhammadar rasulullah Allahumma salli ala muhammad wa ala ali muhammad kama sallaita ala ibrahima wa ala ali ibrahima innaka hamidum majid Allahumma barak ala muhammad wa ala ali muhammad kama barakta ala ibrahima wa ala ali ibrahima innaka hamidum majid I say all this silent this means all my actions, deeds, are for God. My prayer and my, good, uh, my efforts for, to do good in the world. Peace be upon you, Muhammad, the messenger of God, and peace be upon us, the servants of God. We witness nothing worthy of worship except God. We witness Muhammad as the messenger of God. Then I say, O oh Allah, send prayers on Muhammad and the followers of Muhammad as you sent prayers on Abraham and the followers of Abraham. O oh Allah, send peace upon Muhammad and the followers of Muhammad as you did send peace upon Abraham and the followers of Abraham. And one interpretation, when you say Abraham and the followers of Abraham, that you're praying for every religious tradition that sees Abraham as the, as the progenitor or as the father of that religion. So in that way, we have to, in our prayers, we pray for Jews, we pray for Christians, and we pray for Sabians and others who we may not even be aware of or conscious of, who follow that that way of Abraham, okay? So I'm here, and I end my prayer by saying, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Peace be upon you. Peace be upon you. And the mercy of God. And there's, in that same story I told you in the beginning, when Muhammad went to paradise, and he saw the prophets, it said when he saw Adam, Adam looked to his right and he cried and he smiled. He looked to his right and he smiled. He looked to his left and he cried. And so Muhammad asked the angel, Jibril, why is he doing that? He says when he looks to his right, he sees those among his children who've taken that path to find peace, that inner peace. And I'm, again, I'm taking a little bit, my I'm, I'm more interpreting than direct translating. Then when he looks to the left, he sees those of his children who have not yet embarked upon that path. 
And so one of the interpretations of this last part of prayer is that we send God's peace on those who are embarking upon that journey. And we also send God's peace on those who are not embarking, embarking on that journey. Because it's not our job, although we do it as human beings, it's not our job to condemn people. It's our job to want good, those who, who we may perceive as not embarking upon that journey, our, our prayer is that they will be a blessed to embark upon that journey, assuming we may actually be in that group. Like, that's the, I mean, no, that, like, like the real humble assumption is that we're in that group. And I'll tell you a story why. <laughs> we're not in this group. And, 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 and I'm going to conclude with this. Omar, Omar ibn al-Khattab, I don't know, you may have heard that name, Omar the Great, they call him. He was the second uh, leader in worldly matters after Muhammad. He was one of his top companions. Abu Bakr was another one. In the Quran, it says, don't, don't be a hypocrite. Not, not in the way that we're all hypocrites, that we say stuff that we don't do, but that we say something out front while at the same time working against it to undermine it. That's the hypocrisy it tells you not to have. If you're going to reject faith, just be honest, look, I reject faith, right? If you're going to pursue faith, say, this is what I'm doing, but don't be a hypocrite. Um, there was a man who had the names of, 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 of a group of hypocrites that was uh, in the environment at the time of Muhammad. And Omar, who's the second, he was considered one of the, 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 the top of Muhammad's students. He comes to the man's house, and uh, the man is thinking Omar wants to get the list so that he can persecute the hypocrites. So when Omar asked him, Omar says, do you have the names of the hypocrites? The man says, yes. Omar said, I have one question for you. Am I on that list of hypocrites? So the self-purification process in Islam, and I don't want to say true Islam, you hear all these terms, the proper perception of Islam. I know you hear them ad nauseum. So what, what I will say is according to some interpretations that your assumption is that your fellow human being is better than you and you have more work to do. And there was one particular teacher whose student was teaching him and his student said, uh, am I ready to teach? He told him, well, let's see, I want you to go to the market and I want you to make a note of everybody who you're more righteous than. So as the man was walking, he saw a, a, a drunkard, right? And so first in his mind, he says, well, I'm, I'm better than him. But then in his mind, he says, no, I'm not better than him. So then, so then he has this long line of experiences where he sees all these people who you would perceive that you're better than as a religious person. But after he thinks about it, he realizes 
He's not. And when he comes back to his teacher, his teacher asks him, well, who did you find um, that you're better than? And the student says, I couldn't find one person that I'm better than. And when he said that, his teacher said, now you're ready to teach. I can only pray to God that I'll get to that point where, 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 where I can have that kind of humility and, and that I can see. Uh, I can always look at people and see the good potential and possibilities in them. And there's even one tradition where the prophet said that there was a woman who was a prostitute. And she saw a thirsty dog, and she fed the dog with her shoe. And Muhammad said that God would forgive her all of her sins because of her kind action of feeding the dog with her shoe. So I tell my congregation all the time, I say, now, oh, come on. If, 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 if God would be so kind, to someone facing such challenges in life. Who are we to be so judgmental? And people from my congregation are here, and you can verify with them if, <laughs> if I'm just presenting what I want you to see or if this is actually what we present. So we didn't have time for you to follow me uh, in the ritual, but I hope that when you leave today, you at least have some better understanding of this iconic ritual that you see Muslims always doing. So are there any questions? Yes. The five pillars of Islam, like one, going to Mecca, uh -huh. two, praying five times a day, yes. three, you know, they go and you can, I'm not going to teach you, Amin. Uh, so can you talk to us about that? Yes, I can. So, and thank you all for coming. Have a pleasant day. Um, yeah, uh, Muhammad said Islam is built on five principles. The first one is that you recognize that your worship is for the one who created you. And the one that made you is the one that's worthy of your worship. That's the first one. And to witness that Muhammad is the messenger of God, and I kind of explained that earlier, that he brought the message, he wasn't God himself. So that's called the Shahada, Tan, two witnesses. Witness that there's nothing worthy of worship except God, and witness that Muhammad is the messenger of God. The second one is Salah. It's called prayer, but as, as I hope I try to convey it's really a ritual about self-improvement. And if, I had, if this was a long extended prayer class, I would teach you what every position meant, what was the spiritual significance of every position, what is the spiritual benefits of everything that's said in that um, position. So as a, as a healthcare professional, I see it as a treatment modality, a treatment program for these things that struggle, that we struggle with as human beings. And it gives you some light exercise and stretching every day. So there's a lot of benefits to that prayer. So it's called Salah, we pray five times a day. That's the second pillar. The third pillar is that we give charity. 
and it's called zakat. Zakat comes from words zakia, which means purify. So we give charity every, some people do it annually, others do it constantly. We give charity to help the needy, to help the sick, to help the traveler, to help the one who's uh, on a journey, to help the one who's on the corner, who, who's homeless. So it is a pillar in our religion. It is actually a, 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 a principle that we're all obligated to give charity. The fourth one is Ramadan, and that's our fasting period. It starts in 15 days. We don't we avoid eating, drinking, and having conjugal relationships with our wife from the time the sun comes up to the time the sun goes down for 30 to 29 to 30 days. And there's, there's some symbolism behind why it's the ninth month. There's symbolism behind why you eat in the night, right? But that's the basic principle. That's called Ramadan. It's the ninth month of the lunar calendar or the Arabic calendar. And we all fast this every year, unless you're sick, you have diabetes, chronic kidney disease, or, or whatever. Uh, and then the, the last pillars, we all go back to the house that Abraham left, and that's the Kaaba in, in Mecca. And, and, you, and in there, there's a lot of rituals. It's called Hajj. But it's symbolic of, of returning back to your human family, because according to the, 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 the most original opinions in religion, all are equal, especially in that house of God. Okay, and, and the Quran says that. Equal in the house of God are the ones who live in Mecca and also the ones that come from other places. So it's a, it's a, it's a huge exercise in remembering the tradition that Abraham left us and also in reconnecting us to our human family. And those are the, the five pillars of Islam. Thank you for your question. Any other questions? Yes, ma'am. Mm -hmm. So there's a tradition, um, and there's and so with any religion, especially if um, you're getting, uh, we're, we're, we are inheriting, as people born in the year 2000, we are inheriting a religious uh, tradition from others, right? And so, so in, in, in the Islamic tradition, you have the main canon, which is the Quran. Then you have supporting canon, which is called narrations or hadith or traditions, right? You're going to find some different reports on how they prayed in some of these different traditions. Right? And so that's why, yes, the, the tradition is to do this. But some people say, okay, well, back then this had a purpose because it helped project your voice. But nowadays we've got speakers, and, and so this doesn't even have. But when, uh, when my personal teacher, Imam Muhammad, uh, when he was interpreting this to mean I'm, I'm here, God, and I'm listening, then it would still have its um, modern-day context that when you're calling this a van, you're listening. And so then when I'm in, in this position in prayer and I raise my hands up here and I say, Allahu Akbar, okay, this is also, I'm listening. But um, Imam Muhammad also suggested that this, you're, you're, you're showing everything to God, right? So if I, if I accuse you of something, what's the first thing you do? And this is in any, any language, any, any, any culture, right? It's the same symbol, right? It's like a, 
Right? So he said, when you raise your hands up like this, you're saying, I I can't hide anything from you, God. Right? And, And so what's also beautiful is, after you begin with, at least for me, uh, after you say with, with God's name, you say Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. And these are two expressions of God, mercy. Ar-Rahman is the mercy that everybody gets. You can say the sinner and the saint, for lack of a, I'm, I'm just contextualizing it. Everybody gets this mercy. And that's what you mention first. Then you mention Rahim, right? And this, is, this, this mercy is, is more is more of a, uh, of a mercy that uh, those who, who give their lives to God get. But as soon as I say that, okay, when I'm praying, I'm acknowledging that, that everyone should get the mercy of God. Right? So thank you for your question. Any other questions? You all have been wonderful. Thank you for coming today.